Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Now back to the Carl Nelson Show. And good morning once again, family. Thanks for getting up with us on this Monday morning, 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, a banking and financial expert, Darnell Parker. We're going to also talk about later this morning with Darnell about housing issues, rentals and, and mortgages and stuff like that. Also talk about California's $68 billion budget de- uh, deficit. But before we go all, all the way over locally, I want to ask you about BRICS. What do you see in the future for BRICS? Because I understand there's some more countries now joining BRICS. And for those who don't understand who know what BRICS is. Donnell, can you explain to them what BRICS is? Yes, Carl, thank you for the question. Um, the BRICS, we call the BRICS nations, is a um, group of countries that decided to uh, combat the G7 and the G20. Um, like, for example, China felt, even though there was a member of the G7, G20, their voice wasn't being heard because majority of the G7 are European countries and American and European countries control the G7. And you can add that with the G20 because, again, China does not have enough votes to really have a say um, in the G7, G20, similar how African-Americans feel when it comes to Congress and Senate. So what happened was um, uh, Brazil, China, India, um, Russia and South Africa got together to join a group called the BRIC nations. These nations have decided to um, use alternative methods or tools to combat the power of the G7 and the G20 countries by getting off the United States dollar and using other currencies or trading methods or barter to um, not depending on the um, G7, G20, or the SWIFT system. With that power being shifted, um, it giving more power to uh, more of a balance in, in, in the world when it comes to the global power. So China, Russia, India, South Africa is having more to say of what goes on in the world today compared to 20 years ago. Right. And how does Africa play out in all of this, though, with, with the BRICS nations? Well, Africa traditionally is not part of the BRIC nations. Now, what's going to happen is that um, there are certain countries like Nigeria have a strong relationship with Russia because Russia provides them um, airplanes and military equipment. But also Nigeria has uh, relationships with the United States because of you know the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. So there is a political pool right now that China, Russia, and America are trying to um, position, you know, a lot of African nations to um, stay on their side or join the BRIC nations. So Africa is really part of that. All of these um, two 
two forces that balance each other need resources in Africa. Um, China need resources because they need resources to build and develop cell phones. But, you know, American companies as well, like Apple, need the same minerals as well. So there's a fight to um, have a stronghold in Africa to keep the resources because uh, resources are going to really um, help create the balance or the power or, or make the BRIC nation more powerful if they can keep their uh, relationships in Africa. Right. And I mentioned Africa 24 after the top day. I was reading a story out of Financial Times and said the biggest problem for global growth is Africa. Because they have 1.5 billion people live on the continent. And one in three of those entering the workforce live on the continent. That's globally. One in three people entering the workforce on the continent. So they've got to find jobs for all these folks. And the folks, many of them are living in Africa. So they see that as a challenge to the global economy. I want to get your thoughts about that. Well, it's a challenge. It's a challenge in America. It's a challenge in every country um, because of technology, how efficient we are. Um, it's always was well known in economy that um, everyone is not going to be able to work. So even when you look at before the women rights movement, only or a large portion of men worked. Everyone wasn't working. Now we have women rights, civil rights, human rights. Everyone, everyone who's able can work. Um, it's, it's the law of numbers, the law of probability. Everyone's not going to be able to work. So that's how, in order to introduce people into an economy, they're going to bring out universal basic income um, to give people um, free money to participate in the economy. And that's the only way. Everyone's not going to have a job. And, you know, the economy, the capitalist system was never built on everyone having a job. A barter system is built for if you produce, you can barter with someone. But a capitalist system, a republic country, or a social country is not built for everyone to work. Only a barter system. You go back in Egypt or um, historic times, only a barter system is built for everyone can work. Now, is it, is this why we're having the immigration problem we see on our southern border? But it's also in Europe as well. You got people from other countries, uh, former colonies, are pouring into France, Germany, Holland, the UK. Is this is all this this movement that we're seeing on? Is it because that you know when they say they're looking for better opportunities, better jobs? Is this why we're seeing this? Because many of us just think it's just just happening in the United States, but it's not. Yes, uh, uh, since 1866, when the United States had 253 years of free labor due enslavement, um, the United States became the world power um, in the 1800s. Because of that, a lot of people wanted to come to America for opportunity. And also there was policy written through the Immigration Act of 1866 that allowed people to come over here and take advantage of the free economy at the time, but it wasn't free for the uh, free slaves that were able to join the economy. So um, immigrants always want to go somewhere that there's a better situation. I think that if we were in a country that we were at the bottom and another country next door was better than us, like maybe Mexico or Canada, a lot of Americans would go over there to try to find better opportunities for their family. So, yes, um, people will always try to come to a um, picture family in a better situation. Um, as a man, that is your duty to pitch your family in the best situation. Um, so um, 
I'm not. I can't really speak on to if, if that's the main reason now. But in general, since 1866, we have seen people coming to America for better opportunity. Yeah, and we get to that. I think the pressures that that's put on the housing market. But before we do that, though, let's stay overseas for a while. China has been, you know, been investing, if you will. Some people will say call it another word in in Africa. Now the Saudis are jumping in. Uh, what is it that they see on the continent? Why these are foreign countries now? Because some people say that it, it, they're just gonna, a new set of colonizers, but they're saying that they're helping these African nations, uh, you know, with uh, helping to build out their infrastructure. And the U.S. is keeping a close eye on this because now they're wondering whether where the African states' loyalties will go if they're getting uh, financial support first from the the Chinese. They've been watching that for quite a bit, and now they're getting financial support from the Saudis. How do you see what's going on? Just like the question, Carl, that's what's going on. Um, Saudis have been um, very careful of getting involved because the United States military, uh, but also African nations should be careful of getting uh, with the Saudis because we all know the history between um, the United States and Saudis. So it might be, you might think it's Saudis, but it might be coming through a third hand through the United States by you think it's Saudis, but it's really the United States using the Saudis to get better relationships with the African nations. But China has actually been pumping money in Africa for the past 10 years easily because the African nation was looking for an alternative outside of Europe and the United States, IMF, the World Bank, uh, because they have seen for maybe 20 to 30 years um, that they've been taking a disadvantage of with those, you know, IMF loans and World Bank loans that majority of loans they defaulted on. So, um, so that countries can come in and take their resources pretty much for free. And some of these deals that they signed in African nations were bad deals, you know, um, because some, some African people in certain countries believe that the government ent- entities don't represent them. They are, um, they have allegiance to the European and I mean, European United States nations that they were pumped in um, behind closed doors to get into those political positions. So a lot of these deals from the IMF and World Bank never benefited the African nations. So they're looking for Russia, um, China, the BRIC nations, Saudis, for um, to have a competition to come to financing uh, projects and infrastructure. All right, 30 minutes after the top of the hour. I see you've got some folks who want to speak with Donnell. Let's go to line two. Bob's calling us. He's in Buffalo. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, brothers. Uh, I love your analysis, my brother. I just wish we stopped calling it free labor and call it what it was. It was stolen labor. We didn't give it. They took it. It's stolen labor. It wasn't free labor. Only comment. Okay. Donnell? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I want to debate that or argue that, you know, um, it's just a wordplay, yes. Stolen labor, free labor, yes, yes. Um, All yes, right. He, Let he, me he, ask he, you this, though, Donnell. The United States basically, you know, is a debtor nation. Most people don't know that. You know, we're sending all this money overseas to different places, different uh, or, or earmarking money, you know, for different causes. Yes, so we've got problems here at home. We need money for infrastructure. You know, if you talk to many in the black community, we need money for reparations. It seems to go, you know, on, it's fallen on deaf ears. What do you what do you say when people say this is a debtor nation? If so, is who who's owes this? Who do we this country owe the most money to? Is it China, the UK, the Russians? Who's who's holding the paper? 
Wow, Carl. Um, I haven't done my analysis on that in the past two years, but at one point in time, it was China, um, but also um, a two geopolitical analysts that look at, you know, the history of America and, and certain ISDA contracts. And some people believe that um, Saudi at one point in time was the biggest um, person who held the most debt. So, again, um, going back to the, the, the other question, we had to be very careful of thinking that Saudis by itself, the Saudis have a secret relationship with the United States. So I would probably say I can't answer which country that actually has it right now, but I would have to lean towards either Saudi or China that has the most debt. Now, when you look at the debt, this part of the capitalist system, the debt is is for um, future um, workers or citizens of America to pay that debt back. So um, the United States um, keep printing money, and the future of America, the children, your grandchildren, we have to pay that debt back in some form or fashion or increase the corporate tax rate. But we've seen studies, if you increase the corporate tax rate, a lot of countries just move another entity overseas and won't say that they're American companies, like countries, I mean, companies like General Electric has done for years by paying no taxes, by using the tax structure to benefit them to pay no taxes. All right, we're coming up on a break. We're going to take our first look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. 26 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, the financial advisor. He's a financial expert, banking and financial expert, Donnell Parker. When we come back to Donnell, I got a tweet from one of our listeners for you, and the tweet, tweet says the Fed announced this week that it intends to lower interest rates on three different occasions next year and said in, in the email that with that in mind that you may consider holding off refinancing any debt you may currently have, such as a mortgage, student loan debt, I guess car, car notes as well till potentially rates come down. I want you to uh, respond to that. And then Howard in L.A. has a question for you. Folks, as I mentioned, we've got to step aside and get caught up with the latest news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes, though, with Donnell Parker, our banking and financial expert, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information, is power. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. And good morning, Wake Up School. And thanks for starting your week with us later. Neely Fuller Jr. will return to our classroom to expound on his tome on racism and white supremacy. As many of you already know, Mr. Fuller contends that if you don't understand how the system of racism and white supremacy works and all that it entails, then everything else that you think you understand will only serve to confuse you. But before Mr. Fuller, banking and financial expert Donnell Parker is here. Good morning, Donnell. I'm hearing Donnell. Is Donnell there with us? Carl. Okay. We've, yeah, there you go. Thanks, Donnell. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm excellent, brothers. Kevin would say. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm sorry about my phone. This phone has been um, disconnected for the past five minutes for some reason. 
Uh, yeah, they just don't want to <laughs> get the conspiracy theories going. They don't want you to share this information with us, but we're going to make it work. But first of all, uh, you know, I want to talk about the recession. The, talk, the last time we had a conversation, Darnell, was about all this recession and people think of the economy going in the tank. And then the last month and the last few weeks, we've been hearing that the economy is sort of rebounding and, and things are looking up. What happened to all the recession talk? What happened to all the, the, the cuts, the rate cuts that we were hearing from the Fed? What's going on here? Well, thank you for the question, Carl. Um, the comments I'm about to say is not part of the Federal um, Reserve or the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the, the, the Department of Treasury, or the Office of Controller of the Currency. These are my own statements, comments, and analysis and projections for the future. So when it comes to the recession talk, um, the definition of recession changed in July 2022. The original definition of a recession is two negative growth of GDP. Um, we have seen that back in 20, um, first quarter 2022, second quarter 2022, two negative growth of GDP. That should have been classified as a recession in 2022. As we know that the definition changed because of politics, they want to um, bring more confidence into the United States economy to, to let people know there is not a recession. Now, when you walk into an inner city of America, it doesn't matter if it's Baltimore or Detroit, and you talk to individuals, and you will see that um, 63% of Americans don't have $500 for emergencies to use a credit card. Um, Back in 2014, the Federal Reserve stated back in around 2014, over 40% of Americans don't have um, $400 for emergency. So the, the average consumer is struggling, and the high interest rates is making the cost of goods um, of everything that we purchase, doesn't matter if it's uh, food, um, consumer products, or utilities, everything is higher than it was pre-pandemic. So we, we act actually um, technically might not be classified um, as a recession, um, but people are feeling like we are in a recession because we're paying bills, we're we, we buying food, we, we um, are getting sources, I mean, uh, buying consumer products, everything is going up compared to um, pre-pandemic. So we feel like we're in a recession uh, personally. So they just changed the, the way how the compute just to make it sound that we're not in a recession, but for, that's why the public feels like they're still in a recession. The prices are still high and, and jobs are still hard to get. Is that is that what you're telling us? Yes, jobs. Well, some jobs are not hard to get. Is Carl, a lot of Americans, since the um, NAFTA was signed, um, a lot of Americans are underemployed. I mean, there are jobs, but is these jobs really worth the pay? And some of these jobs nowadays are not coming with benefits. Even the UAW, uh, back in the 90s, um, the big three became very, very business savvy and say, hey, if you go down to 32 hours, we don't have to offer you full benefits. So a lot of people have to understand the corporations are very, very powerful. And they are making strategic moves to have less employees. And when they do have employees, they pay them less without the proper benefits and the proper pay. So then you become underemployed. While you, while you, while we are underemployed, a lot of people are actually um, looking at their expenses and everything's been going up since the 1990s. And a good documentary that you can watch this is called Equality for All um, by Robert Reach, the former Department of Labor 
um, chief. So at the end of the day, Carl, um, our salaries are being stagnant or being reduced while the cost has been going up since the mid-90s. All right. Well, explain that to, you know, to the listeners right now. They're figuring their, their jobs. They're seeing all these benefits being cut, as you mentioned, especially the health benefits, because health insurance is, is, is off the charts right now. What does this mean for the American people? Or if you can get a job that you can afford, that you can survive, and you can, you know, have, have has health benefits, what does this mean for, for our future then? And this well, is not a financial it, question. This is just a, a social a social question for you, uh, Brother Donnell, but go ahead. Yeah, since the mid-90s, we haven't been waking up to what's been going on. I think the UAW workers been fighting it. Uh, people in the Midwest been fighting NAFTA um, because NAFTA had destroyed the Midwest from cities from, you know, Flint, Michigan, Detroit, Toledo, Ohio, Cleveland, um, Dayton, and um, Gary, Indiana. Um, we see what happened with the automobile and steel industry. A lot of jobs went to Mexico or in the South. And because of the less pay and um, less benefits, um, the American consumers slowly, um, our pay and our benefits been taken away from us since the mid-90s. It hasn't been done drastically, but if you keep watching what's going on to the American consumers, the cost is being pushed out to the American consumers while the corporations are making more profit. Well, let me put this question another way. Six down for the top of the hour, Donnell. Are these jobs coming back? Are these benefits ever going to come back? Yes, some jobs and some benefits will come back, but you have to adjust to the new fourth industrial revolution. The fourth industrial revolution is going to focus more on automation. It's going to focus on um, technology. It's going to focus on how can I make this job better with less employees, less people. Even like, for example, if you're driving Uber or Lyft right now, by 2028 to 2030, there will be more self-driving cars throughout America that's competing against you, that they don't have to pay your salary or your benefits. They can have the car itself pay for his his, um, insurance and his own um, bill without paying a third party, which is a human. So self-driving cars would be more popular in America across about 2028 to 2030. So for, for our people, uh, Darnell, especially those who are starting college or, or even in high school, because this is the future that you're just laying out for us, what sort of advice would you have for them? What sort of majors should they pick to go to college if they are going to go to college? Well, first of all, I would say uh, find something that, that you love. You know, you have to love something and don't do it for the money. Now, if you want to do it for the money, I think some popular things can be very popular in the future, which is going on now, is nursing, um, a registered nurse, or a when you once become a registered nurse, you can actually become a travel nurse. A travel nurse, I have seen over the years, making between eighty thousand to one hundred and fifteen thousand. Um, computer science, anything had to do with computers, programming, um, those degrees, cybersecurity, those um, degrees would be very um, Popular. Again, you don't need a four-year degree. Um, some of these um, careers, you can um, take a certification, self-study, and pass a certification in information technology, cybersecurity, or even project management. You know, you actually don't have to have a four-year degree. You can have just a basic, you know, self-study by taking a book and reading and pass certification, or you can have a technical computer science degree, a two-year degree and uh, focus on information technology to get your career started in those hot fields. I, I consider those are hot fields. Now, 
I would have to add this. Anything had to do with STEM, I'm, I'm an advocate of STEM, um, science, technology, engineering, math. Um, that's even you become an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer. Um, these jobs are well needed um, because we need more doctors and attorneys in our community. So, so the uh, uh, the arts majors, you know, history and sociology and and that kind of stuff. Those guys are out. Is that what you're telling us? Not really, Carl. What I'm really saying that we really need to rebalance uh, more African Americans getting in STEM. Um, I, I believe that a lot of people go to college just to get a degree, but they really have to think about in the next ten years, can I actually use the degree? How am I get paid? Um, if you want to become a school teacher, you have to understand before becoming a school teacher, um, school teachers are not getting paid enough. So you have to do it because you love it, not because of the pay. So I, I think we need to not go to college, just go to college. I think we need to think about the next six to 10 years, how I'm going to use a degree and how I'm going to get paid. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, John L. at 10 after the top of the hour, having a conversation with the head of a black studies department and it was kind of lamenting the fact that black incoming students are not taking black studies courses. And now what you just mentioned, that they're, they're probably seeing that they're looking into the future and wondering how these courses can help them. Even, you know, they can take, take these courses, not necessarily to major in, in black studies or Africana studies, but, but just take them as electives, if you, so, you know, in college. But they're not even seeing that. But uh, I guess just from what you just saying, do you think that our, our, stu- our young students now are focusing on the future and going into the STEM programs? Yes, and I, and I think that's good, but also... If it wasn't for, you know, rap group like Public Enemy, Boogie Down Productions, um, I was, when I was on campus, there was a brother named Jeff Johnson and I. Um, we decided to bring black studies to a PWI institution. Um, because of that, that's where I, I learned um, Tony Broder and Dr. Francis Cruz Wellesley and Dr. Ben. And I was exposed to them at, at the age of 19 or 20 compared to being exposed to them at the age of 32 or 35. Because of that foundation, uh, put me in a uh, trajectory to have an understanding of my history, but at the same time being productive in the United States economy. Yeah, and, and that was the, that's the, the battle of the, the uh, Black Studies departments are fighting right now on campus, trying to get our students, you know, just even take the courses like you did as an elective, not just major, but just because right now some of these courses are under threat of being discontinued or, you know, you know incorporated into Hispanic or, or other courses, to, you know, on, on, a, on a different umbrella, but, but instead of having a separate Africana or, or African. Uh, African history uh, department or study. That's what's happening on the campuses today. But I want to switch over to the Federal Reserve, though, uh, uh, Darnell. The Federal Reserve has sort of put a pause. Explain what's going on with, with the rate cuts. They put a pause, or are we going to see more rate cuts coming next year? Yes, the Federal Reserve right now put a pause on rate cuts or increasing rates. Um, they are projecting maybe three to four rate cuts next year. So um, they, they're still watching the economy. They're, they're still looking at consumer spending, inflation, and they put in some um, tools in place to reduce rates in the future. It depends on uh, consumer spending and, and how the stock market and economy, the, the total economy is doing. And we, yet we have, you know, Jamie Dimon and some other folks, you know, Warren Buffett, they're signaling that they think the, the economy is going to go south. 
Uh, they, do they know something that the rest of the people don't know, or, or, they, or are they hedging their bets, or are they projecting? How do you see what, what their call? Carl, I would say all of that, because what goes up must come down. You know, that, you know, um, I'm not going to say who actually created that, but I believe if someone in Egypt created, you know, the, the law of gravity, not Newton. So um, Jamie Dimon and Warren Buffett have different um, businesses, so they can actually see how the economy is doing. Um, Jamie Dimon actually know what business can survive high interest rates, what business cannot survive high interest rates. For example, uh, small business cannot survive high interest rate or a continual high interest rate for the next, you know, 18 months to two, two years. And I believe that was statement said by Jamie Dimon, but he believed that J. Morgan Chase can um, handle um, interest rate up to 11 to 12 percent. And we're not even there yet, Carl, but his risk management, his stress test inside J.P. Morgan Chase said that his bank can survive up to 11 to 12 percent. Um, Warren Buffett as well, he has certain businesses across the world and he can actually see certain um, economic factors that he believes that we're actually headed to a downturn. It might not be as, as, as a drop compared to Jamie Dimon, a hurricane, but they both are predicting we, we have to come down sooner or later sometime in 2024. All right, hold that thought right there. 14 after the top of the hour. We've got to take our first look at the traffic and weather for the week. Family, you want to join this conversation with Darnell, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Coming up uh, later this morning, we're going to hear from Neely Fuller Jr. And Mr. Fuller, of course, uh, talks about racism, white supremacy. And also, I want to mention the fact that, you know, you got to listen very keenly to Neely Fuller Jr. Because what he says, you know, he uses logic to prove his points. So later this week, we're going to hear from Contra Costa College professor Manu Ampin. Also, metaphysician Dr. B will be here. Also, we're lucky to be joined by Professor Rashid Khalid. He's one of the foremost experts on Palestine, teaches at Columbia University. He's going to break down what really is going on in Palestine with us. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM fourteen. 50 W-O-L. Donnell, we've got some folks who want to talk to you, so let's go to line two. Howard's calling us from Los Angeles. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I hope everybody's doing fine. I just wanted him to comment on a, a recent uh, environmental conference. They had uh, different nations uh, talking about they want to reduce the carbon emissions, uh, and that has something to do with the fossil fuels and things. And I see it, they had a picture of a different uh, nations that was in the conference, and I see Saudi Arabia is participating in that. These are, oh, is that some kind of dichotomy or something? What's, what's happening with that? They produce all this oil, and they're going to want to do something about the environment. So would they cut in their profits or something? Something don't seem right with, with me. With all that. right. Thanks, Howard. And, and in, in that vein, too, Donnell, if you can tell us about oil prices, oil prices, since Donnell mentioned the Saudis and oil and environment, oil prices have been dropping. Uh, you, maybe you can tell us why or how long do you think they're going to decline, it, especially for folks who uh, have to go to the gas, uh, gas up these days. Yes, Carl, um, that's a great question for Howard. We have to understand we're moving to a different um, economy. Uh, the, the Federal Reserve Chairman Powell um, in 2020 and 2021, he always stated, one of his famous comments is that we're leaving 
the old economy and move into the new economy. He's speaking of code. We're moving to the fourth industrial revolution where robots, um, AI, artificial intelligence is going to u- be used in the economy to be more efficient. Gas cars, you see in the state of California, gas cars will not be able to be sold in some states. Like, for example, I believe in California, it's 2035 that no more gas cars are going to be sold. So Saudi Arabia and other countries um, partner um, up to make sure that they keep future profits up, up and coming in the future by investing in um, new energy. It doesn't matter if it's fusion energy, um, nuclear energy, um, windmills. Um, they have to stay competitive because everyone on the globe that's a global leader, leader, leader or banker knows that oil will not be used in the future as much as it's used today. 20 years from now. So they're hedging their bets and getting into, you know, Africa. Um, doesn't matter if it's, if it's cell phones or any other form of energy. They have to be competitive in the future because um, Dubai and Saudi Arabia, money would dry up in 20 years if they don't make any changes. Oh, wow. Uh, 1416, actually, from the top of the hour with Donnell Parker. Charles is up next. Charles is on line three. He's calling from Baltimore. Good morning, Charles. Yes. Uh, how you doing, Donnell? Good morning, Charles. Yes. Um, I'm wondering about this national debt. I'm um, of the mind that it was created by the Postmaster General after the Civil War because of the bankruptcy from the Civil War. So how exactly did the Postmaster General from Great Britain create the national debt. All right. Thanks, Charles. Go ahead, Donnell. Um, I don't have the answer to that question. Um, I never studied that national debt from that um, point on, from the 1800s. But I, um, Charles, thanks for the question, but I, I will research that, um, but I don't have the answer today. Right. Uh, speaking about the post office, Darnell, with now folks using email and stuff like that, they're, they're on the challenge, though. How long do you think they can last? Well, they're, they're not really at a challenge. I think their major challenge is that Congress is taking some of their budget and moving it to other entities or not funding them officially because UPS and FedEx want to take over um, to privatize um, that business. Um, as you know, the Postal Service is part of the Constitution. It's probably one of the last things left on the Constitution. So um, if the Congress gives them the 5 to $10 billion they need um, annually, um, the United States Postal Service will make enough money to survive um, in the future. Even though that people are using email, but there's more population to this very day. People are still mailing gift cards. They're still mailing packages. In fact, United States Postal Service use um, no United States no UPS um, United Parcel Service used the United States Postal Service as a subcontractor for over ten years to um, move some of their mail. So even though that um, UPS used them as a subcontractor, UPS upcharge regular consumers for next day air, but they're using UPS for that service. All right, 13 away from the top. And I want to talk about housing now. Uh, we see, we hear there's a drop in rental r- 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 rates. 
Uh, Donnell, is this true or is this, uh, or is this a fiction of somebody's imagination? If so, what's causing this drop in the rental races? Well, and over the past um, couple of years, we have seen there is a housing um, shortage. But major private equity firms and wealthy individuals decided to build apartments to um, make sure that people who lost their homes or were not able to get a mortgage during a high interest rate, they start building more and more apartments. And when you go to the major cities, um, a lot of people who built these apartments have surplus of inventory. So in order to compete, um, a lot of people had to drop their prices to make sure it's competitive with existing apartments and new apartments. So we've seen a short drop in uh, rental prices when it comes to apartments and housing because of the surplus of new apartments on the market today. All right, and let's talk about housing. As you mentioned before the break, that tweet that said that the feds are signaling they will, you know, decrease interest rates a few times coming next early next year, and say if you're thinking about doing a mortgage or a refi, you should hold off for a while. But we have heard reports of discrimination between some mortgage groups. Have you heard any of that information as well? Yes, this is an ongoing thing, Carl. For the since the 1960s, discrimination is nothing new to the, our listeners or the African-American community. Um, as we've seen during the 2008 financial crisis, if you name an entity, um, there were pretty much complaints, lawsuits against, you know, an entity for discrimination on mortgage. Um, recently, last week, Navy Federal Credit Union, um, there was an article stating that 50% of African-American borrowers were discriminated against or um, not approved for home loans compared to, you know, their white counterparts with the same income or even a disparity of income, a African-American making 140000 compared to our white counterparts making $62,000 um, has similar um, approval rate, but it shouldn't take an African-American with a $140,000 salary to compete with um, someone who's making 52000 with, with the same approval rate, which is, you know, again, this is part of America that we have seen over our 400 years of existence being denied mortgages and access to capital. Now, let me ask you this. Do, do you think it's it's a, sort of a redlining move to keep us declining us if we want to move into certain neighborhoods, or is it a straight-up blanket, bold up in your face discrimination? Well, we got to look at the institution, the system they use. How can you discriminate to someone online? You have to use the, their fifth digit of social security number, which some people think it's, it's not true or, or bad to see what their race is. You can look at their demographics. You can look at their name. You can look at their zip code. Um, there's multiple ways a system um, can discriminate um, with someone um, from a mortgage loan. And it also socioeconomic, um, we have known African-Americans do make less than um, uh, Hispanics, uh, not Hispanics, um, our white counterparts. So uh, part of it can be, they would probably say, is income that drove, um, or the debt-to-income ratio had drove the um, uh, high default rate for African-Americans. So your debt to income is your income coming in to track your um, expenses, and, you know, and your liabilities. And that with your debt to income ratio um, predicts if you qualify for a mortgage or not. 
Right, and I've heard that uh, about this uh, Social Security that uh, that uh, there's supposed to be a, a figure or a number or, or certain figures that that, that uh, you know indicates your race. Is there any truth to that, or the, or is that just internet chatter? Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Um, Carl, I did a study with my friends, and we talked about this back in probably early 2000. And I would probably say when I did my uh, talk to my friends, we, we talked about it through an um, African-American male organization. I think close to 75% of us, um, because I think it was the fifth digit, um, was the even number. Um, it was probably about 75% of us, it was true. So they can look at your, your social security number, and, and it's probably more than one number, though, uh, certain numbers, and they can tell that if you're African-American, if you're a black if, if that's a black person, that, that's what you said. It, that's what your research showed, right? <laughs> yeah, my my research um, being involved in the African American organization that came up in the early 2000s, um, around you know when before the 2008 financial crisis, you know everyone was getting access to capital and money. It was free money going around there, did not a mortgage fraud going on, but it was a discussion we had, and and you know there's I read reports people are supporting it, and some people debunking it. But there have to be a way that they can find out a high percentage of African-Americans living in certain counties. Like, for example, Cook County at one point in time was the largest or might still be the largest county of America that have African-Americans. If you can see Cook County and certain other areas that, like Fulton County of Georgia um, have a high concentration of African-Americans, these uh, institutions can easily deny 50 percent of those loans by um, putting certain things in place. Is there any way around that, though? And, and the other question i got to ask you, it's probably a silly question when you look at it, though. Do you think the black folks who, who underwrite these loans participate in that discrimination as well? Well, when you work for a institution, a mortgage service company, or anyone who's writing loans, you answer to someone. So they participate pretty much indirectly. Only the smart ones know that they're participating directly. Uh, Because when an underwriter gets a decision saying, well, they don't qualify, um, they will have to take it personal and say, hey, I believe you qualify because your debt-to-income ratio was calculated incorrectly or there was something in the system that caused that default or um, that borrower not to qualify, they would have to challenge the, the underwriter or the institution to, to change that decision. Now, it's up to that underwriter to do that. And sometimes people don't want to rock the boat. And <laughs> so, so, so they would keep it moving and not challenge the corporation or the entity to change that um, loan decision. All right, six away from the top there. We've got to get caught up in the traffic and whether or not different cities and also the news for our listeners in Baltimore. But tweet question. Tweeter wants to know, how do you calculate infl- inflation? And that's the question. I'll let you uh, consider that until we get back. I also want to talk about uh, 
cyber attacks. Should we be concerned about cyber attacks? You, know, you talked about, uh, you know, loans being approved or not. How much does uh, AI, artificial intelligence, play in that field as well? Family, you want to join this conversation with our guest? He's a banking and financial expert. His name is Donnell Parker. Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning, family. Two minutes after the top of the hour. Happy Monday to you. Our guest is uh, banking and financial expert Donald Parker. Uh, before we left, uh, Donald, we we're talking about uh, discrimination, mortgage discrimination. And my question to you was the impact of AI. Now they're using AI, artificial intelligence. How is that going to impact uh, as far as mortgage discrimination is concerned? Well, Again, AI systems can be used for you or used against you. Um, AI can um, increasingly uh, make the decision making a lot faster. Like, for example, if you input the your income, your expenses, or if it's automatically done by systems, you should be able to find your um, credit decision from the underwriter, which would probably be AI. Maybe a human person might be a second review on the system, but it should it should be within 24 hours. Um, some banks and some institutions already use the AI when it comes to credit cards. Um, a few have a, a few systems for mortgages, but in general, AI can be used for you or against you. It depends on who controls the system. All right, we're going to get into that in a moment. We're talking about cyber attacks. But before we do that, though, Twitter wanted you, you to explain how inflation is calculated. Well, it depends how the viewer, um, if they're looking at the CPI inflation or individual inflation when it comes to um, individual food prices or utilities. But in general, you take the inflation rate divided by 100, then you multiply that number by 1, and that will be the amount or the dollar amount of the, the inflation. So that's a generic calculation um, that you can do to, to see what the inflation rate is. All right. I want to talk about cyber attacks now because it seems that we keep hearing about cyber attacks all over on different levels in different institutions, not just financial institutions. But should this something that we should be concerned with? Can they can you mention using your Social Security number by the fifth number? They can figure out if you're black or, or Hispanic or white or whatever. But with cyber attacks, they really doesn't care. Or do they really care? Can, from where you sit, can they use that against us? Yes. Um, over the years, Carl, we heard about a thing called the dark web. Um, cyber attacks is nothing new. But in re this year, we've seen a increasing um, groups of, in countries um, using um, cyber attacks to get data, um, to um, get information, uh, because this current system that we're using now um, is, is going to have to change to a blockchain system because the blockchain system is more secure. So. Um, different entities are trying to move the blockchain faster, and the faster way to move the blockchain faster is to hacking into a system to wake up everybody's eyes and saying, well, we got almost everybody's information. We got the brain. 
So in order to stop this, we have to move into a new technology. And the new technology is blockchain technology. Is that hack-free, though? Can that be hacked? Can, you know, or is there any system out there that cannot be hacked? In, in my research, every system can be ha- hacked. And in fact, um, certain companies have stated that they are not allowed to build certain systems unless um, certain entities have a backdoor. And when I say certain entities, um, it is alleged, you know, they would say, there's plenty of movies that documentaries when it even come to Apple iPhone that Apple wasn't able to proceed in their program without the government having a backdoor. Um, in other countries, we've seen Samsung um, stated that they were not able to prosper without the China government having a backdoor to their data and cell phones. So at the end of the day, we all have to be careful of, you know, just making sure we monitor our credit reports, our information, because people information is stolen from corporations all the time. Doesn't matter if it's Target, doesn't matter if it's a U.S. government breach, doesn't matter if you use your credit card at Walgreens. Uh, our, our data is being stolen consistently. So, so explain to us what this means, though. Six after the tumbler for the emerging nations, the, the nations on the continent, the, the nations in the Caribbean and South America. What does this mean for these nations? Are they up on all of this? This, you know, cyber hacking and the cyber attacks. Do they? Do you, do you know if their infrastructure is, is that sophisticated to stop some of these attacks? No, a lot of those countries you mentioned, Carl, don't have the technology as America. America used certain things from public record from from the 1800s, from, you know, real estate transactions. We've been using credit card processing, master and visa. Our, our technology is more sophisticated than most countries because everyone um, information today, I'll probably say over 50% of your listeners right now, some form of the information is on a dark web. They don't even know it. Um, so when it comes to other nations talking about, they don't have the technology we do, so it's going to be easier for them to have, the universal identification that's coming out that is going to be protected by blockchain. Majority of, of people on the planet do not have the information on the system, but when blockchain technology come out with facial recognition and biometrics using your um, eyes and your, your fingerprint, um, a lot of people are going to be on a blockchain system. So majority of the world can be protected compared to, you know, America and Europe and China that have been using technology for the past 50 to 60 years. You know, last time we had a conversation, you talked about the brick and mortar banks that are closing and mergers. Are you, is this what you've seen going as we go into 2024? Yes, because the information technology and um, the banking structure is going to change. Um, going back to discrimination, there's going to be a new form of discrimination in the future. You heard it here first. The banking system is leaving a fee-based system and going to a collateral-based system. So if you don't have collateral, you're not going to be discriminated only in your race. You're going to be discriminated because you don't have assets. So you're going to have to have collateral in the future to get a lot of loans, which some people say, well, you need collateral to, the, to this very day. But there's other ways to get you know, credit. You know, it doesn't matter if it's credit card or, or an unsecured credit. In the future, um, it's going to be more collateral-driven of your assets you have. It doesn't matter if it's stocks or real estate to borrow against um, that collateral to get a future capital. So that's going to be a new form of discrimination of of 
um, African-American Hispanics not have enough um, collateral or assets to borrow in the future. Oh, wow. And I keep asking you this question every time we have a conversation. But just how close are we getting closer to this cashless society where nobody carries any fiat money, but uh, just uses plastic? Well, um, 70 percent of transactions are already done digitally. Um, cash was still being used probably a little bit after um, 2030. But the percentage of cash being used is going to dwindle. As we've seen, a lot of retailers, doesn't matter if it's a grocery store or Walgreens, they might say, well, we prefer, you know, credit card or digital payment, um, or they might have enough cash on hand to uh, make change in a timely manner. So we're going to see more retail stores um, going to push more towards, you know, credit cards or even at Whole Foods, you can use your hand to make payments now. Wow. So how close are we to the digital dollar, uh, Darnell? Well, some people would believe that um, the company called Circle, they've been discussing, having a conversation with um, government entities, not just United States, but worldwide. They created the United States digital currency called USDC. Um, the CEO named Germany, Germany something, I forgot his last name. But he's been on CNBC talking about United States digital currency, his product that he created. And um, he did say that he talked to different federal entities that um, some people believe that it's already created. It's just not approved by Congress. You cannot use any other currency if it's not approved by Congress. So it's against the law to use um, any other form outside the United States dollar as uh, barter system or to make transactions, even even Bitcoin, it's against um, United States government and law, and it's against national security to use another form of currency in the United States. So until that is proved by Congress, um, everything else is illegal. All right, 12 after the top of the hour. Just waking up, folks, our guest is Donnell Parker. Donnell is a banking and financial expert. Donnell, earlier you mentioned about BRICS and their effort to replace the uh, the dollar as the the world's uh, reserve currency. If they're trying to replace the dollar, is it, they're going to use the yacht? Is it going to be digital or is it going to be uh, fiat money? Oh, it's going to be both. But really, to make transactions faster, and to go against the agenda from the IMF and the World Bank and the World Economic Forum, um, they are stated back in 2011, the United States um, dollar won't be the world global currency. So everything got to be digital because we're moving to the fourth industrial revolution. Um, technology is going to be used rapidly, a lot faster and efficient, so that when you make a transaction, that retail customer or the retail organizational company would know if you have money in the bank or not. They would know you have a credit card that have a balance before you even leave the um, store. So it's going to be very difficult in the future by 2030 or past to make a transaction without a um, company knowing that you have the balance or not to, to make the payment. You know, having said that, at 12 after the top of the hour, I'm sure you've heard of the New World Order, whether it's one religion, one money, everything is just one. And, and now, they're, you know, they're heralding that Donald Trump is trying to usher that in, being he wants to be the one person to run this country. But having said that, though, how much of this, uh, you know, BRICS, what BRICS is trying to do is part of the New World Order agenda? Uh, 
Hmm. Well, the Brick Nation was set in stone anyway. Um, doesn't matter if you're looking at from a religion standpoint, when they talk about the American eagle or the eagle is going down, the dragon is going to rise, which is China, um, and America is Babylon. So from a religion standpoint, spiritual standpoint, we know it from that standpoint that um, China is going to rise in the future. Um, the BRIC nations coming together is also a form of mental and physical oppression that the Europeans and the United States have opposed on the world. So they, in order to have someone to say at the table, they had to come up with the BRIC nations to fight against the oppression that other nations across the world have felt. Now, one thing that the New World Order is aligned with the BRIC nations is that everything is going digital, which is part of the fourth industrial revolution, that once you put all of these nations on a digital currency, 20 years by 2040 to 2060, it would be easier to switch everyone to one currency, but it's not going to happen in the next 10 years. It's going, that's, that's the next, you know, 40, probably 40 years down the road, but you have to get all these nations and people um, used to using their own digital currency first. All right, young people, I hope you're listening. 14 after the top there. We've got get another quick break in here to check the traffic and weather in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes to talk to Donnell. I want to talk to Donnell about California's $68 billion budget def- deficit. What's that all about? $68 billion in California. Folks, what are your thoughts? You want to join this uh, discussion with, with Donnell? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95. 5.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Financial expert, discussing a bunch of uh, issues dealing with money. Before we left, we talk, Sandy, we're going to talk about uh, California's uh, $68 billion budget deficit. So uh, help us out here. Let me ask you this, though, uh, uh, Donnell. Is it because uh, some of the money people are leaving the state of California's? We're, we keep hearing about the migration out to, to places like Texas uh, and, and other states. And also the same for New York City can be sent. Is, is this why they, there's a budget deficit? Is Donnell still with us? I'm, I'm not hearing you. probably put yeah, it, John, got his fo- phone on mute. Yeah, Donnell, okay, yeah. yeah, my, my question was the $68 billion budget deficit. Is this caused by the outward migration of some of the money people in the state of California? A small portion of that can be attributed to the deficit, but the major deficit in California came as the United States um, economy is that the rich is not taxed fairly and they're not taxed appropriately. Um, there's a lot of loopholes for corporations in California and wealthy individuals um, in California to not pay taxes or to pay a less portion of taxes um, compared to regular individuals. Um, that's why I've always been an advocate of a flat, a flat tax system compared to, like, some countries have a flat tax system, like uh, Russia, um, one of the countries has, I believe, Mongolia and um, Bolivia have a flat tax system. doesn't matter how much money you make, you still got to pay 10%, 13%, um, and get rid of the tax system. And there's a lot of pros with um, a flat tax. and when, when we go into the fourth industrial revolution, um, we can actually reduce um, government by using things that are simpler, artificial intelligence, technology, or even a 
flat tax system. So you, for a regular individual, don't have to worry about the IRS or don't worry about how to do their taxes correctly, and you pay it off of a flat rate. doesn't matter, you know, no one get no tax loopholes or no charitable deductions. It's all done from a flat tax. And so then it pushes the government back to take that income and say, well, we got to change the infrastructure of the government to make sure that we don't get a deficit. doesn't matter if it's state, county, city, or federal government, because everything should go to a flat tax system. That's fair for everyone. Yeah, well, that flies in the face of what Donald Trump is trying to do or what he did when he, he was in office. He gave the breaks to the rich. And again, part of the talk is that this trickle-down theory, that if the rich people make more money, they can create more jobs for, for the middle-class Americans. And your, your, your thoughts on that theory? Well, that theory started during Reagan economics in the 1980s. And we've seen since um, the 1980s, especially when the um, private corporations and other entities have brought in you know, crack cocaine into our communities, our community was devastated. And a lot of us were put on welfare because of Reagan economics. Reagan economics don't work for African-American community. It doesn't work for the Hispanic community. So um, that philosophy doesn't work. Um, the traditional philosophy, in order to have financial inclusion, you have to have financial participation. So the money should be allocated the traditional way of access to capital and need, not based on give it to the rich, and they decide um, if they want to hire somebody or not. Right, because that was a theory. But in theory, it, it, it sounds good on paper. But in theory, a lot of these uh, fat cats, they kept the money themselves. They didn't, it, there was no building out. They weren't building the economy or growing the economy. They're growing their own pocketbooks. So that's, I guess that's where the problem is with, with that theory. And, of course, Donald Trump looking out for himself, of course, in that mode. So uh, folks who are in the political side of things, just consider that next time you go to the polls. Because that's, that's how it really works. As Don L. just said, the trickle-down th- uh, economy it seems just the people, it's like a pyramid scheme. You know, the people on, on top get paid and the people at the bottom don't get paid. But, you know, I keep hearing from uh, some of our listeners out in California about the gas prices. And they, and they pay way more gas prices. I think uh, other than Hawaii, and we know the reason why they got to fly everything or, sh- or ship it into Hawaii, pay more for gas than anybody else in the country. Why so? Um, part of the supply and demand and also the infrastructure, how the gas pipeline get to um, California, um, that drives the prices up. And also the state of California um, might charge a surplus tax on gas to bring in revenue. And I believe recently this year, I think Washington or Oregon has you know, surpassed California at one point in time as the highest gas prices as well. Yeah, and Donna, we're seeing gas prices going down. Can you explain to our audience how that impacts the economy now that gas is cheaper? Well, yeah, when when OPEC changed the barrel of gas prices, hopefully the consumer products and transportation prices go down, which the corporations should reflect that on their prices of, doesn't matter if it's toys, clothes, retail products, or the grocery store your prices should come down maybe like three months later, like a lag. Um, so when the oil prices drop, the transportation prices should should um, drop as well, which should have an effect on pricing of your um, utilities, consumer products in the, in the future. 
Yeah, and when you think about it, with the, the role that OPEC plays in controlling oil prices, they also control how the economy is run. Do you, and, and you know, when you're talking about finances and, and politics, they go hand in hand. Do you think the decline in, in the oil price is going to uh, last through, uh, uh, at least through November, through elections? Well, I'm not going to uh, attack that from a political standpoint, um, because that's up to um, certain administrations to to take that you know news and to make it positive for them. But from the economy standpoint, from a banking standpoint, it's, it's the best interest to um, ensure the United States economy is stable. And the, when you lower gas prices, it would bring more revenue into the economy. So the consumers will have uh, more money and more opportunity to purchase at the same time. Um, the drop in interest rates next year more or the projected drop in interest rate next year and consumer prices and gas prices going down, we should have more money to spend um, in the future. You know, another question here, 28 after the top of the hours, political and financial as well. Uh, Saudis controlling OPEC. Saudis are no friends with Biden. They're friends with Trump, as we already know that. You know, they gave the, Trump's in-laws, I guess in-laws, yeah, in-law and his, his daughter, you know, billions of dollars, just gifted them billions of dollars. And, and, and they, they would like to see Donald Trump back in the White House. Do you see, and this is, uh, this is probably just on, on a personal viewpoint from you, though, but do you see them trying to get involved in, in hiking the gas prices So because then it will cause a ripple effect through our economy? And, and so the, uh, people are already upset with Biden, with so-called Bidenomics. They'll, they'll, you know, they'll vote with their pocketbook. How do, how do you see that? Well, I, I, again, I can't. I can't discuss politics or address from a political standpoint. I think when you look at um, the United States economy and Saudi, they have to do what's best for them from the U.S. economy standpoint, that they can make money um, by manipulating the market, which I know that certain things are manipulated. They should not manipulate the market um, to get votes, obtain votes. But I know that is done sometimes. And also the news media don't always tell the truth what really goes on to manipulate a certain audience to get us with the yin and the yang um, to vote for someone or not to vote for someone. Right. That's my question. 30 minutes after the top there. The geopolitical aspect of, of what's going on financially. How astute do you think the American public is? Oh, well, um, I, I think only 10 percent, 20 percent of Americans public actually understand um, what's going on from a geopolitical standpoint. Um, we have to remember there's been studies since, you know, the mid nineties that um, the cost of goods have been going up. People are underemployed. People are so stressed up. People are so stressed out. They do not have the time to consider the geopolitical or even the basic city or county um, local government um, voting. Um, because they are underpaid and they are stressed out about paying their bills. Um, we have to reflect that 63% of Americans are living check to check. So because of that, they don't have time to really um, dig deep in geopolitical um, you know, conversations. And if they did, Carl, um, you would probably have 20 million people listen to your show every single day because people are astute. Yeah. 
29 away from the top there. We mentioned earlier about these jobs going overseas. And folks know if you have all these, many of these call centers in Asia, a lot of them in the Philippines, you pick up the phone and talk to somebody, he's in Manila or Quezon City in the Philippines. But if this is talk about shifting those jobs to the African continent, have you heard any talk about that? Yes, those jobs are shifting to the United, um, to Africa because Africa don't have the technology. Um, there is a group of African-Americans I know that uh, went to Colombia, they went to Thailand, uh, Philippines, Manila, Philippines, and they're in Africa right now. They're in Ghana, they're in Nigeria, they're in South Africa. Because they couldn't do business here in America, they said, why sit here and be an oppressed when I can make six figures somewhere else and also use my capital to start a franchise or use my capital to bring IT projects to this emerging market? Um, a lot of African-American men I know are, have left this country, and there's a few women I know doing some projects in Ghana right now, um, raising capital to do projects in Ghana. So there's a lot of opportunities in um, Colombia, Africa, and um, Asia right now if you are willing to relocate and, um, and uh, take those products and services over there. That's interesting. What about the red tape? Oh, that, that you, is there a lot of red tape for those companies? Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Not really a lot of red tape. I think the biggest thing is maybe a language barrier and, and more access to capital. Um, as, as we know, it doesn't matter if we leave this country, we still need access to capital to bring, you know, certain equipment to a new country or to even get the infrastructure done correctly. You still need to um, get more capital to make your project um, bigger. Like, for example, um, in Kenya, you can build a house for 130000 you know, um, or you can go to um, Uganda and build one for 70000 or or Ghana and build one for 60000 But if in order to be a, a, a stronger builder, you might need capital of 300000 to 500000 to build four houses at one time compared to doing, you know, one or two houses, you know, once at one time. Then you wait, take that capital and build four, four properties later on. So we still need access to capital in other countries as well. All right, 26 away from the top of the hour. We've got to take a quick break and check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, uh, Christian in Malibu has a question for you. Folks, you too can join our conversation with Donnell. Donnell is a banking and financial expert. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also on the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Thanks for rolling with us this morning, 20 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, uh, banking and financial expert, Donnell Parker. Before we go back to Donnell, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with Neely Fuller Jr., Dr. Francis Chris Wilson's mentor. And Neely Fuller is going to provide another installment of his tome on racism, white supremacy. Many of you already know, he's saying, that if you don't understand how the system of racism, white supremacy works and everything else that you think you understand only serves to confuse you. And just a heads up here, you got to listen very, very keenly.
many of you are not going to get it right away what he's trying to teach because he uses logic, cause and effect. Those of you who have taken logic in college, you understand. You'll, you'll grasp it faster. It took a while for me. I got to admit that, too, before I got it. <laughs> when I first heard that, I called Dr. Wilson and said, you got to explain this to me. I didn't get it. And, and she broke it down. And basically, if you're doing something that the, the oppressor approves of, then you're caught up in the system of racism and white supremacy. Just think about everything you do and say. There's something that the oppressor would approve, then you're caught up in that system. And it's a system. You don't get hung up too much on, on the word white. That's part of it, too, but it's a system. It's a global system. Anyway, he's going to be here later this morning. Also, uh, later this week, you're going to hear from Contra Costa College Professor Menu Ampin, also metaphysician Dr. B will be with us. Also, Professor Rashid Khalidi, one of the foremost experts on Palestine. He teaches at Columbia University, and it, everybody's trying to get him to talk about what's going on in Palestine. Well, he's going to be here, and he's going to share all what's going on in Palestine with us right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. As I mentioned, we're speaking with Donnell Parker and Christian has joined us. Christian's online too. He's calling from Malibu. Christian, good morning. You're on with Darnell. Good morning, gentlemen. So uh, the question that I called for was, uh, I'm in a war mode. Uh, I think ahead to be forewarned is to be forearmed, but you had recently talked about California. If we have time, we can go back to discuss California's decline. But let's go back to the war effort. I remember when Greece um, had 80% of its population working for the federal government. So when the government defaulted, all those people didn't get their money because there was no money. So I'm thinking we're in the 61st day of World War III. That's the way I planned it. Lebanon's been firing on Israel, and so has Syria. Um, there used to be two uh, battleships in the in the Gulf. Now it's five ships. So we have battle groups now, and we're firing back. So now Ukraine, we actually are floating Ukraine's uh, people, their workers, their military men. We're paying for their armament and their citizenry. When we had Desert Storm, the government agency agencies here in California, they went on a freeze. If you were working and somebody retired, they wouldn't hire a new person. They would have you work in that person's place. The person uh, was a director or a chief, uh, they would have you work in that place, but they wouldn't hire a person. You wouldn't get the promotion. That's why I see us now, right now. So if we're in a war mode, like I anticipate we are, what do you do now to protect your money? So you won't be a shutout. All right. And Christian, you say that question of later this week for where Professor Khalidi uh, joins. That would be a good question for him. But uh, Don Ellen, any, any response uh, for what Christian said? Thank you, Christian. Thanks for your call. Thank you, Christian, for the call. Um, in order to protect your assets, doesn't matter if it's a war or anything else going on, you, have to, you should always invest in physical assets like real estate, gold or silver. Um, even stock market is not um, a physical asset. You should always have money on reserve. Once, if the, if or once the stock market drops to a low point, then you can buy stocks at a cheaper price. But always go for physical assets. Land, um, gold, and silver is a great way to protect yourself, and also having cash on the hand to buy stocks cheaper. 
All right. And we've, we keep hearing that whenever there's war or talks of rumors of war, then the gold prices go because people start investing in gold and silver. So if, uh, thank you for that response, uh, Darnell. 800-450-7876 on line three. Money Mike has joined us from Baltimore. Good morning, Money Mike. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Darnell. How you doing? Good. Good morning, Money Mike. Okay, Donnell, uh, what is Saudi Arabia's economy? How do how do they make money other than oil? Are they into technology? Are they in agriculture? Are they into armaments? What do, what does their economy consist of? Well, know? I'm not an economist for for Saudi, but I do. As most everyone knows, their major their major driver is oil. Um, I don't know the second or third uh, major commodity that they export. Okay. The yeah, let me just throw in here, uh, Mike. Let me just throw in here because they've I've read reports that the Saudis and a lot of the Arab nations are now trying to diversify because they see the oil isn't going to be the number one uh, pull for them for their economy. So they're they're trying to get into the STEM products as well. But go ahead, your your second okay, question so for Donnell. Well, I want to just to make a follow-up comment. Saudi, the, the reason why the oil is, is low is first is that China hasn't come online. You know, their economy is suffering. As far as Africa goes, China has already decided to go to Africa because it's a cheap labor source and it also has the, the raw materials and they don't have to ship them to China. They can manufacture and use the cheap labor. Granted, it's, it's employing Africans. But they have sewers and, and dams and railroads and airports that they've built. So uh, my next question is, well, that's basically it. But I, I want to also say to uh, you is uh, I agree with you about real estate, about gold and coins, but I don't think America's going to gonna default. I mean, our debt, but I don't, if, if we default, the world defaults. So I don't think we're going to go that way. And you can comment if you like. Thanks, All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Donnell. All righty. Thank you. Donnell? I would like to thank Money Mike for that question. And we have to remember um, every country, every world power is printing money um, during the pandemic. Um, even before the pandemic, during the pandemic, every country is printing money. So um, we have to be very careful to saying that China is struggling then America is struggling. You know, we don't have to go into the inner city to see America is struggling, talk to um, everyday person to see 63% of Americans are struggling and small businesses are failing. Um, if America, the, if the Federal Reserve and Congress didn't print money, um, we would be failing, failing as well. So every country is failing right now. The global um, currency system, how the currency is moved, how the currency is valued, have to be reset um, and put everyone on blockchain technology to ensure everyone is included in the financial markets across the world and some people will get universal basic income because we don't have enough jobs. Now, um, I don't have to say America would default. I can go look at literature from 2011. The IMF stated that the um, United States would default in the future. I mean, this is something that the IMF stated back in 2011. So every country will default on a payment sooner or later because you can't keep printing money to prop up your balance sheets and your um, income statement because you're printing money. So sooner or later, um, the system has to be reset. And this was stated by the IMF back in 2011. 
Right. And that reset, that global reset they're talking about, is it going to be gradual or is it going to be just snap? And, you know, we wake up one morning and we're all on using digital currency and, and the banks are closed and all of that stuff. How, how do you see how they're going to move into this? Well, Carl, as we've seen, the 2008 financial crisis, um, everything is going to be gradual. Um, the pandemic was done gradually. Um, they, you know, provided um, free capital and uh, funds for individuals and corporations. Uh, 2008 financial crisis, they only provided to corporations, but the pandemic, they, invited, they provided money for everyone out here that was not employed. Um, so it's going to be gradual. It's going to be well-managed. Um, if you look at the universities in the past 10 years, one of the most popular, fast-growing um, studies is conflict management. Conflict management is what they're using right now to manage this global crisis. Not just United States or China. Um, this is a global situation that um, they're using geopolitical psychiatrists and the banking system to manage this crisis um, to make sure it's not a major shock. Um, if there is a major shock, you're going to have a civil war in certain countries. As we see in the United States, we don't have that, but in other countries, um, they're having civil war because there's not enough food supply and water and utilities to get around to people. So, yes, you have civil war in some countries, but the United States is well managed. All right, turn away from the topic. I want to go back to one of Money Mike's, uh, uh, what he said about the uh, Chinese building out Africa. Uh, uh, some of these chi- uh, these African nations, are they mortgaging their future for, for airports and, and dams and, and new roadways? How do you see that? Yes, um, China actually provided loans to build you know, dams in certain um, African nations. Um, they build in their roads and infrastructure so they can have access to the raw materials, like Money Mike stated. Um, so these raw materials is very important to build cell phones, um, EV cars. Outside of Tesla, the, the next top three EV cars are in China, actually. And um, China is competing with Tesla. Um, I think when you look at um, other traditional companies like GM, Ford, they will not be able to compete in an EV market. Um, so the next, you know, 10 years, you're going to see um, – different names of cars in a row, not the traditional GM or Ford, as well as you're going to see Tesla and other um, Chinese company EV uh, cars in a row. So China is actually building that infrastructure to make sure that their companies and corporations are a global corporation like Procter & Gamble and GE to us and Tesla to us. Yeah, I want to ask you about EV cars, though, at nine away from the top. Uh, do you see a point, or what point do you see where there'll be more of them on the road than we are gasoline engines, tur- turbocharged engines? When, you know, was it 10, 5, 15, 20 years? How do you see it far out, looking out? I would probably say by um, 20, around 2035 to uh, 2040, when, you know, states going to come out and say, well, you can't sell gas guzzling cars anymore. That's a prediction. Um, you're going to start seeing that. Um, I think it was six percent of cars right now. Six, six to ten percent of cars right now are EVs. So I would probably say easily by when the states start pushing, you can't sell gas cars anymore. Um, that's going to be a reflection that it's going to easily be fifty percent of cars on the market is going to be EV, especially when you take in the self-driving cars that Tesla is producing. A lot of people who have cars, 
uh, won't be able to afford to have cars because they're not going to be able to use Uber or Lyft as a um, secondary income or primary income. So I would probably say around 2035 to 2040, 50% of cars in the market would be EV cars. All right. And and that will impact the uh, taxes, uh, the buses, all the other kinds of uh, transportation that you have to pay for is going to be imp- impacted by that. But I'm looking at the clock machine. We're coming up on a quick break. When we come back, though, if you can tell us the role of the IMF, because we talked about the Chinese, you know, building out in Africa. Now the Saudis have joined the train as well, trying to get into Africa. What's the role of the IMF? If you can explain the, the role of the IMF when we get back, I'd appreciate it. As I mentioned, we've got to step aside and get the latest traffic and weather and the news in Baltimore for our listeners. We'll be back in four minutes though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour with our guest, Donnell Parker. Neely Fuller Jr. is on deck. We'll get to Mr. Fuller momentarily. Before we left for the traffic and weather update, uh, Donnell, I was asking you about the IMF. All these uh, now different nations, we have the Chinese now, the Saudis are going into Africa, trying to invest in the continent. Some people say they're neo-colonialists. But what is the IMF's role in all this? Do they counsel? Do they okay? Or are they the bank of last resort? How do you see the IMF's role? Well, it depends on the nation, Carl. The International Monetary Fund is a global organization to sustain over 190 countries to offer um, money or lending opportunities for um, emerging markets or even the United States of America if we needed to um, borrow money. Um, it's really to increase uh, productivity and sustain you know, the financial markets in 190 um, countries that are considered members. Of the IMF. Now, the um, IMF first founded was 44 members, and it grown to 190, similar to what the BRIC nations have done. They started with five, and they, over the years, have grown. Um, but the IMF was created after World War One or the Great Depression um, in 1944. So they offer special drawing rights. So what they do, they take a basket of currency like the U.S. dollar, the Japanese um, yen. Um, the pound in, a, um, in the Chinese renminbi, uh, which is not a, a, um, a, a direct currency, it's a basket of currency, and they take that as a, um, as a commodity and lend towards that, um, those um, currency to um, the 190 nations. Now, their only lending power is up to $1 trillion. We have to understand that $1 trillion is a lot of money, but the world economy is close to $96 trillion. So there's opportunity for China, United States, or um, other countries to lend to each other. Uh, they only cover one, t- one one hundred of the world economy when it comes to lending. So who controls the IMF? Who actually controls this very day? I don't have the names, but it's a it's it's forty four original members that um, probably have some say of how the money is allocated. Um, the IMF have offices in D.C. and in the U.K., but the current um, IMF leader, I forgot um, the person's name, because I know Christine Lagarde back in 2011, she was heading the IMF, but now she's running the um, European, um, European um, Central Bank. 
so a lot of these um, names are face to change, but I forgot who actually runs it right now. Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe we'll pause that way in some uh, shape or form to Neely Fuller Jr. But Donnell, thank you again for sharing your information with us. And how can folks reach you if they want more information on what we talked about this morning? Thank you, Carl. Um, They can reach me at area code 202-643-8301. Again, 202-643-8301. Thank you, Carl. All right. Thank you, Donnell. That's Donnell Parker. He's a banking and financial expert. Let's turn our attention now to Mr. Neely Fuller, Jr. Good morning, Mr. Fuller. How are you, sir? Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Good morning. Can you hear yeah, me? Good, yes, we're going to hear you now. Good morning. How are I'm, you? I am still learning. Oh, aren't we all? Should be, at least, still learning. I want to talk to you about racism and white supremacy. You told me you came up with the phrase racism and white supremacy. All of a sudden now, and, and you and Dr. Wilson were talking about racism and white supremacy for, for decades, and now it's reached the lexicon of, of the, uh, on Capitol Hill. They're talking about racism and white supremacy, and all of a sudden now it's died out. It's, it's, it, it, for them, it was a fashion, but for us, it's a real statement. If, if, you, can, if you can tell us how you came about how you came up with with the the race that many of our problems as black people on the planet now just in the United States is caused by racism white supremacy and I think you mentioned that racism is white supremacy if you can explain that for us we'd appreciate it yes sir uh, racism and white supremacy is just forms of mistreatment so I looked at many decades ago uh, how mis- people on a day-to-day level, I mean, just on a job, mistreat each other. That's all it is, is mistreatment. And so I knew that I was under a doctrine, came up in schools and all, and all like that, public transportation, uh, hospitals, that if you had color in your skin, you were ordained from birth and even before birth to be mistreated if you appeared on planet Earth from anywhere. Born here or coming from another planet. If you had color in your skin, you were a person. And some people would say, well, maybe part person who was ordained from appearance to be eligible, eligible to be mistreated by anybody who is classified as white, dominated, and mistreated in all areas of activity 24-7. Economics. If, if you have color in your skin, you'll be mistreated in the field of economics. Education. Entertainment. Labor. 
law, politics, religion, sex, and war. I have it in my textbook that people can get by going to ProduceJustice.com, and it's called the nine areas of activity. These are the nine major areas, like economics in alphabetical order. That's an area of activity of people. So if you're a person with color in your skin, anybody who is classified as white, regardless of age or condition, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, can say and is backed up by world government, which means the system of white supremacy, that's the only world government, only have one world here on this planet, and we only have one government on this planet. And the name of that government is not the United States of America or Russia or China. It is called accurately, or if Neely Fuller is making a mistake, not making a mistake, rather, the system, in capital letters, of white supremacy. It's the strongest, most effective government that the world has ever seen. And everybody, including white people who are trying to help black people, but everybody caters to those white people who believe in dominating and mistreating people who have color in their skin, black, brown, red, yellow. A few minutes ago, I heard the question asked about who dominates or who runs uh, some type of fund. Who, who, you know, who are the people who run it? And then the person who who was on there just before me, it seems like they hesitated, and then they gave an answer. But directly or indirectly, according to what I have written, if you want to know who runs everything on this planet, find a white person who believes in white supremacy. That's always been the case. I don't know of any other case. Never heard of any other case either directly or indirectly. They got all these different labels, United States of America, my country, the country, Finland. No, it's one government on planet Earth. Now, that's either true or false. The system of white supremacy. Just one. And you say it just that way. Now, these things are easy to say. But then we crawl through every little detail of every little thing that's going on in every activity on this planet right this minute, and it might take you eight months, ten years, whatever. It's always that. It's never anything else but that. And when somebody else comes up and says something differently, I want to know about it, and I want to see evidence of it. Just that simple. All right. Let me ask you this question, 11 after the top of the hour. Do the white supremacists know that they're white supremacists? 
Sure. You have to be conscious of what you're doing when you have that much power. You say, what do you do? What is a white supremacist? A person who gets his power and gets his satisfaction of all kinds on planet Earth by dominating and mistreating people who have color in their skin. That's how I get my income. That's how, you know, it's a form of slavery. That's all it is. And it's the biggest form, the most efficient form. There was slave, I've heard that there there have been forms of slavery all over the planet for thousands of years. But somebody thought of putting it on the basis of what color somebody is. And that took, off, that took off like a rocket. And it's solid. And they say, oh boy, it's such a simple formula. I mean, why didn't we think of this thousands of years ago? I'm just saying a picture in my mind of the first white people who thought of that. I mean, white people had slaves. I mean, and what I understand, black people had slaves. Uh, Indians had slaves, from what I've heard. But it wasn't based on color. But when somebody thought of putting it on the basis of color and, and applied it to every activity of the people on the planet, they just probably made a trial run or two. And they say, you know what, this is really working. I mean, nobody, you know, people are napping. But we're doing slavery on the basis of color, and nobody's paying attention. Let's see if we can do more and more. And that's exactly what they did, in, from what I see in all the records and in my mind, that's what they did. And people, generally speaking, they seem to miss that all down through the years. Right, and hold that thought right there, Mr. Fuller. When we come back, though, Mr. Fuller, I'd like you to explain to, you know, some white folks, will, those people going on the job now, hearing this information on the way to work, and and, and if they, they confront their co-workers who are white, why are you going to tell them, well, I, I'm not racist, you know me, I'm not racist, you know, I'm, I, and, my, and my parents didn't have any slaves, and, you know, why, why should I believe, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a member of racism, white supremacy. So if you can explain if. Every white person is a white supremacist, so I really appreciate that for us as well. So, mention we got to step aside and get caught up on the latest traffic and weather at 14 minutes after the top of the hour with Neely Fuller Jr. You want to join this discussion, reach out to us at 800 450 7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with Neely Fuller Jr., another edition of his tome on racism, white supremacy. You know, he came up with, with the, 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 the phrase racism, white supremacy. And my question to him before we left for the traffic and weather update was about the fact that some whites will say, well, I'm not prejudiced, I'm not racist, I'm, my, my parents didn't own slaves, so therefore I, it, it, racism, white supremacy doesn't apply to me. And put it another way, Mr. Fuller, uh, all white people are, are, are racist and white supremacy. All white people white supremacist? No. Uh, white babies are not white. You have to join the white race. 
because there isn't any such thing as other races. I mean, racism is white supremacy. White supremacy is racism. There's no other form of racism. That's another thing. The white supremacists themselves came up with this idea of saying, you are part of the Negroid race, or you are part of uh, the yellow race, or the brown race. They even use a term that's right in your face that makes no sense at all. Like racism itself doesn't make sense. But we've gotten so used to it, including college professors, that we just call uh, things by the thing, uh, uh, call, describe things in a, using the same words that make no sense at all. Like they say, black and brown people. Most black people are brown. Has anybody ever thought of that? Anybody on the planet ever took five minutes to think of that? I mean, how brown is brown? How black is black? There are yellow people that are black. I mean, what are we doing here? We, we See, all of us, if the white supremacists understand it, because they invented it. See, the one thing you have to have if you're going to have white supremacy is... Make sure that every person that got color in their skin is constantly confused when it comes to this color thing. Keep their minds hopping all over the place so that they won't have any idea of what they're doing or what they're saying themselves. Well, now, we got black people and we got brown people. Uh, but the brown people are coming across the border. Oh. Well, now, some black people coming across borders? Well, black, brown, you know, they're all non-white, which means, in white supremacist language, they're all a bunch of junk. And, you know, <laughs> when you're looking at them, just, they are raw materials to be used by anybody who is white. Now, I'm not a white supremacist, mind you. But that's their status. And they accept the system of white supremacy themselves because they don't have a system of their own. And we always remind them of that. You're always coming across the border looking for me. Why is that? Is that magic? Is there something magical about me? I'm never looking for you except to tell you what to do. And I got the muscle to do it. So when you think of something better, boy, let me know than what we are doing. You should be happy. Being mistreated forever. Get out of my face. And this is the white supremacist doctrine for as long as I can remember. And even when they are being polite with it, like nowadays they are, they'll say, are you going to do better than this? You need me to whip you. You know that. 
and you, you need me to help you to whip each other because you cannot get along unless I'm around. I knock your heads together all over the world. Or you cannot get along for five minutes among yourselves. You need me. You need me. You know that. So stop all this argument. Everybody settle down. Believe in white supremacy. Sing its praises forever. We are born to get things done. I get things done better than anybody. That's the white supremacist doctrine. You don't know how to do anything except maybe a little dance step and cussing each other out. Other than that, you're completely blank. And Let me jump in here and ask you this, though, Mr. Fuller. We're completely blank. Some of us are completely blank, I should say. Is it because we don't know who we are? For those folks who are completely blank who play into the system of racism and white supremacy because they don't know who the, who they are? That's a cliche saying. Now, we got a million slangs, and that's one, knowing who you are. Who are we? We are people that are born into the world, but we are born in the system of white supremacy, and the system of white supremacy is designed to keep black people in ignorance and hand out all kinds of pieces of paper telling them that they're smart. When you can look around and see our condition, we can't even walk out the door without getting killed by other black people. How did that happen? White supremacy, that's how it happened. And go anywhere in the world and you see the same thing, but in different forms. In other parts of the world, they say, I, I travel a lot. I don't see none of that. Well, in the code book, what I wrote, I said, when it comes to racial matters, many look, but few see. See what? See what they're looking at. We're looking at it all day long. I don't care if you're in Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa. You're looking at white supremacy. You're looking blank face at it. And they say, no, we got our independence. Yeah, right. Congo. Look at it. And then start doing what? Like on this program. Asking questions which is something black people have not been trained to do. We have to train ourselves to do that. Ask questions about what? About everything. Everything that you're looking at right in front of you right now. And ask, what is that? Where did it come from? Why are those people doing what they are doing? What are they doing? See, every black person's mind should be going going like that every day, all day. Where are those people going? They're getting off a bus. Where are they going when they get off the bus? Yes, you want an answer to that question. You say, well, it ain't none of my business. I mean, and the white supremacists love it because the white supremacists ask 
about a grain of sand, 10 trillion miles somewhere out in space. See, the white supremacists take an interest in everything because they know that to have power, you better. You don't pass a speck of dust without asking questions about what is that? How did it get there? What does it do? Because everything you're looking at does something. Black people are trained to do what? Do one thing. Check out each other and compare each other with each other. Slaves comparing each other in their slavery. That's all we have been doing. Measuring our progress and our defects and our faults by each other. That is a recipe for retardation on a grand scale. No, pick out the smartest people on the planet individually and say, I want to know 10 times more than they ever knew. That's how a black person should be thinking right here in the year 2023. Pick out whomever, the, the 10 smartest people on the planet, whomever they are, black, brown, red, yellow. Of course, you have people who, among all people, who are very smart. The averages just say that. But, but think about it. If every black person, I'm talking about remedies now, not just beating up on black people. If every black person had it in his mind, her mind, I'm going to find out who the smartest people on the planet are in whatever field they're in. And I want to be smarter than all of them put together. Now, that's a huge goal that you know when you say it, you are not likely to reach. But that's how we should be thinking. But we're just sitting around trying to compare your present, Christmas present, with mine. Say, mine is prettier than yours. We are such childlike individuals, even worse than childlike. Those children are curious. We lose our curiosity about anything that makes sense and got a whole lot of curiosity about anything that's absolutely stupid. The white supremacists got us so dazzled now by all these new types of sexuality that the stop what you're doing. Stop being a biologist or a sociologist or, or a chemist. And pay attention to your sexuality. This thing about a black male with a black female, that's old-fashioned. Take a couple of black females and put them together, you know, and then take a couple of black males and put them together. That's a better arrangement, ain't it? And black people just look at it and say, well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? What did I say? 
I'll tell you, you what, Mr. Fuller, hold that thought right, right there, and I'll let, you, I'll let you drill down on that when we come back, because there are a lot of confused people about their sexuality, but, and, and how, explain it, how it's the cause of the white supremacists, though, first, when we get back. But we got to step aside and get caught up with the latest news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. Family, you got a question for Neely Fuller Jr., raise your hand, uh, reaching out to us at 800-450-7876, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV, Ron FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. And good morning again, family. Thanks for rolling with us at 20 minutes away from the top of the hour. Call up a couple of friends who are telling Neely Fuller Jr. is on the radio. And you've got to listen very, very keenly. Neely Fuller Jr. always uses logic, cause and effect, to prove his point. So, you know, it's not one of these programs you can sort of halfway listen to. You've got to you got to tune in all the way you're buying into it so you can understand what he's trying to teach us this morning. Before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you, coming up in the next few days, you're going to hear from Contra Costa College Professor Menu Ampin, also metaphysician Dr. B will be with us, along with Professor Rashid Khalidi. He's one of the foremost experts on Palestine, teaches at Columbia University, and is the most sought-after person when it comes to issues in Palestine. He's going to be with us later this week, so make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Mr. Fuller, before you were saying that some people in our community sexually confused, as you put it, because of, of uh, inordinate or, well, I wouldn't say inappropriate, but their choices, their sexual choices. How is is that the the fault of racism, white supremacy? All these folks are just, you know, they they feel to do it that way. Some say they were born that way. How do you see it? How can you explain that for us? Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Are you talking to me? Sure, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, they may be. But I'm saying, I'm not talking about people because they are the way they are, what they're attracted to and what they're not attracted to by birth or whatever. I'm talking about the system of white supremacy. See, the white supremacists have control of all of the non-white people's sexuality. May not look like that on the surface, but they do it through uh, just manipulation. See, they don't say anything to you directly at all. But they'll say that this is the fashion. That's how they get it, you know. In particular, all the black people who have been raised directly by white, the white supremacists. Oh, we always want to be in the fashion. So it doesn't take much to just say, hey, this is the greatest thing that was ever come up with. Now, we've got three, four, maybe five different types of sexuality. That gets boring. That's what they're telling black people, and they've done it over a period solidly, solidly, of about 50 years. I noticed it when it first started. And it's, it's a very subtle thing. 
They say, we're going to get the intellectuals first. We're going to have them. The, we're going to get the ones who are the smartest of that group. But they are very diversionary and open to any types of sexuality that we put on them. We'll start off with just, you know, your garden variety sexuality. Uh, we'll call it homosexual and whatnot. And we'll play around with that for a few years. And they will, oh, see, now here's where, here's where the genius comes in. They say, then we'll begin to spread it. And say, now why try, since you're doing so well with this, and it seems to be working for you, and of course for us, let's try, rather than have six categories of sexuality, let's try 10, then 15, then 30. Now, it's just like making soup. You put in some greens and some peas and some beans and broccoli, and you say, this is soup. And you taste it, and it's great. It is soup. But just keep dumping stuff in there. Coming up with all kinds of new stuff that you never heard of before. All kinds of uh, alphabets. We're going to run through the whole alphabet, and then you come, maybe come up with even new alphabets for sexuality only. And dump it on black people worldwide. Now, what does that cause? All kinds of confusion like you wouldn't believe. And the male-female thing will be completely obsolete, particularly and really only where black people are involved. Male-female will be obsolete, not obsolescent, completely off-limits. Black male, black female, producing a black family? Are you crazy? See, anything that'll get away from that doesn't make any difference how you do it. It's like I, like I said, like when you really want to bait a fish or whatnot, you start off easy, you know. This is what that reel is on that fish pole. Let it go on out, go on out. Explore the seas. Explore everything in the way that I have sent you. And then snatch you into the boat. I've got you forever. The white supremacists are good at that. In finance, and sex, and everything. Real, let them real. Let them think they're going somewhere. <laughs> and you sit here and just smile. Yeah, you sit. All you've got to do, you don't even have to watch the line. Because it's a system. The system works on its own. Working magically, beautifully. Say, well, what are we going to do with the black people today? Oh, um, well, we'll play game number 17 on them. Yeah, it'll take them 50 years to get to get wine of that. Because <laughs> they're slow. 
when it comes to thinking. Real fast when it comes to acting. Real slow when it comes to thinking. That's the nature of a black person. And we white people think like bullet fast and super accurate. That's why we run the world. It's just that simple. That's how they think. And then they prove what they're thinking will work because it is working. And we're looking right at it. Like I said, just staring at white supremacy all day long and don't recognize it at all. Hiding in plain sight. In everything that we do, not in some things, not just sex, but economics, education. Black person wants some education, get on a boat with your children in your arms, falling into the water. I got to get across this river to get some education. I got to learn something. Well, the white, the black guy who's standing next to you say, well, you know what you got to do. I got to do what? You better find some white folks if you want to learn something. And the person looks around and say, I guess you're right. I ain't learning nothing among y'all. Well, you're just like me. So don't you know that? Well, you better learn that, because I'm going with you. Which way did the white folks go? All over the world, people say that. And you're going to tell me that white supremacy doesn't exist? There's no evidence that it doesn't. And I'm saying this, and it's either true or false. The most powerful government in recorded history up to now. The system of white supremacy. A lot of white people are saying it should be replaced. Why? Because it's an evil system, and it is. But it's so efficient. And if you're white, you can be so comfortable in it. It has a whole lot of benefits. The benefits are astronomical. Rather than sit around and just watch a bunch of black people beating on some drums, a bunch of Indians beating on some drums, and saying that that's spiritual and that's being in touch with the universe. But now, they still admire that pickup truck out there. See, we, we stop and think about the entire universe, not part of it. And that's what black people are trained to do, and the white supremacists love it. They say, we can study a grain of sand or study the poison waters and keep the waters from being poison, because we make them poison. But we, we know how to keep them from making poison, because we study everything. We just don't study one or two things and say, that's it. That's our tradition. We learn how to beat a drum. And that's it. We don't need to learn nothing else. The white supremacist said, how many things do you see around you 
the clouds, everything. Well, the Indians will say that, yes, we we understand clouds. We understand the weather better than a lot of white folks and all like that. But do you understand things that go beyond the weather? Do you understand how to make weather change? See, the white supremacists have a great, great, great affinity for knowledge. They want to know it all, not just enough to impress the people down the block. That's where we are in 2023, truth be told. The hood. And that's not just the young people. Where's the young people get it? Got it from us. The older black people. Well, I don't know about that, man. All I know is the hood, the corner. That's all you want to know, right? Yeah, it's all right with me. I'm doing all right. Hmm. What's your problem? That's progress. Going down the corner, man, see what's happening. 2023. And we're talking like that. And then when you step out on your doorstep and wait to hear about what's going down on the corner, you know because you hear the gunshots. That's all that's going on down on the corner. Well, uh, you know, uh, you know, you gotta be, you know. No, stop doing it. Take that first step. What are you gonna get out of that? Well, something to do. We're gonna hold that thought right there, Mister Fuller. We gotta take another quick break. I I want you to get into that later this morning too, because you often mention that we waste a lot of time talking about nonsense with each other. But uh, Sandra has a question or a comment for you. We'll talk to her when we get back. But we gotta step aside, get caught up with the latest traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore. Family, you want to join this conversation? It's six away from the top of the hour with Neely Fuller Jr. Reach out to us at eight hundred four five zero seventy eight seventy six. Your phone calls in four minutes on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power you rocking with the most awesome the Carl Nelson show you rocking with the most awesome all right let's go Good morning again, family. A minute after the top of the hour with our guest, Anneli Fuller Jr., discussing racism, white supremacy. He says, racism is white supremacy. you got a question, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Go to line one. Sandra's calling us from Baltimore. Sandra, you're on with Mr. Fuller. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Mr. Fuller. I, I see things the same way you do, sir. I absolutely do, and I agree with what you were saying. We have been and fooled big time again, over and over and over. 
we want to be included so much with the white people that we have lost our everlasting loving mind. Last night I saw a commercial with this black woman dressed in a red outfit. She's standing up there with a horse, talking to a horse. And then switch over this black woman with a bunch of dogs. She's standing on the pier with gecko insurance. I mean, they just throw anything out there and we jump on it. Now all these commercials, you see all these black guys with these white women and they're getting the black men saying that your woman is not good enough, but that woman is. This is absolutely crazy. I don't understand it, but yes, it did. I do understand. It's like what you said. They throw anything out there to us and we believe it and we jump on it. Anything right, that of value and makes sense, they won't give you that. All right. Thanks, Sandra. Mr. Fuller, you want to uh, pick out anything that Sandra said to discuss? Uh, no, and uh, even if I uh, agreed and disagreed with it, that's not the way that we find out what to do as a react, as a reaction to it, the system of white. We don't know how what to do. We don't know what to do to the reaction yeah, to it. Yes. All right. And Sandra, let him finish. Go ahead, Mr. Fuller. Hopefully we haven't lost Mr. Fuller. All right. Even that, but even, but I'm talking about how to have conversations about the system of racism. It's something I just want to make clear now. Uh, and I'm taking this opportunity about, this, you know, using the statements that were just made. Now, I just want to say this to the general audience uh, throughout the world who is listening, and that is another thing when we discuss, I'm talking about remedies now, solutions, solutions. When we discuss, discuss what Neely Fuller is saying, we do it looking at what he's saying, not looking at Neely Fuller. You look, first of all, at what's being said, then look at the source. And I could be absolutely incorrect about everything that I'm saying, because I start with that premise. I just want the entire world audience to know this. Whenever I say anything, I'm saying it with the intention of after I get through saying it, I'm going to try to attack what I said. From every angle you can name. And I've done that with myself. I do that all the time. I mean, I attack, I attack everything that I say in fine detail. All right, Fuller, you got all this mouth about this, that, and the other. Okay. Suppose the smartest person in the world says, I'm going to take your whole argument and tear it to pieces, Fuller. And so I try to take that position. And that's what I do with everything that I'm saying. But I've found out that there's no way for me to do it. Because I haven't been smart enough to tear tear to pieces the things that I'm putting together. It always comes up to me, looking at it, even when it hurts. This thing called the white supremacists is true. It's true. That's the main thing. You don't ever look for anything but the truth in anything. The truth in nature. Birds fly. 
And, you know, freight trains don't fly. That's the truth. And so I look at everything just that way. Not from an emotional standpoint, even though I sound emotional. And I have emotions. But emotions have to be attached to a thing called logic. And logic is based on truth. Either something is what it is or it ain't. And that's the truth. And when you call, start calling something that is what it is and call it something by what it ain't, I just want to interject this. Then everybody involved in it is in trouble. Why? Because the truth is the truth. And everything is done based on truth, if it gets done at all. That's just the nature of the universe. You violate universal laws, the laws of logic. You're through booking. When you start telling yourself lies because it feels good, start lying to yourself. You might be forced to lie to somebody else and in the system of white supremacy. You're forced to lie all the time as a victim of white supremacy because the white supremacists believe in lies. I mean, religiously, they believe in them. And they're the best in the world at telling them, okay? So the main, some of the main things, these are just some of the main ingredients when we start talking to each other, whether we agree or disagree. We're supposed to. See, that's a new form of thinking among black people. You know, we talk, and we're supposed to disagree if we disagree. And say that, well, <laughs> I don't see it the way you do, for. You know, I'm looking at it, and I'm listening, but I don't see it the way you do. And I'm going to tell you how I see it. That's what you call progress. But the first thing you do is attack your own premise. You don't wait for somebody else. But I feel confident that I can go before any world court right now. I mean, in the next five minutes. And I'm well prepared to say all the things I said this morning. And after everybody quiets down, and after I say everything that I had to say, Ask anybody in the audience to take what I said apart, piece by piece, if they disagree with it. And I will jump on board with it, because all I want is a solution. I don't care, I don't care who comes up with it, white people, black people, male, female. I'm just laying it out. And I'm also, I spent two hours this morning talking about the problem, like most people do. But you got to talk about it, the problem, in order to have remedies. So I've written a book about what to do, and this is part of it. First, tell the truth about it, regardless of whether it hurts or not. When you go to a doctor, the doctor sometimes tells you, like I did a few days ago, I did it myself. He says, now, when I do this, it's going to hurt. But hurt 
serves a purpose. It lets you know that something is in error. So don't be hurt by being hurt. If the person is telling the truth, they say the truth hurts. Let it hurt. That keeps you sharp. You know where the problem is when it hurts. And it hurts until the problem is what? Solved. That's beautiful. That ain't ugly. Well, you do anything to stop it from hurting. Get some opium. No, that's hiding the problem. That ain't solving nothing. You're going to have that problem when you come out of it. Heroin. I need a fix. You need a bigger fix than you think you got. If you think you're going to fix it with something, that needle in your arm that's got opium in it or whatever, fentanyl, that's our solution. Why? Because the white supremacists say so. That ain't no solution to nothing. And the record proves it. I think I'm making some kind of point. Yes, you are. 2023. We we, we shouldn't even be having this discussion about race. That, That should be so far in the past, nobody even knows what it is. You know? By now, among black people and, and people worldwide, we shouldn't talk about, we shouldn't even be talking about racism at all. But it's still the hottest thing on the burner, even when it doesn't look like it is. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection, you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. All right, hold that thought right there, Mr. Fuller. Eric's joining us. He's in Maryland. He's on line three, and Eric has a question for you. Good morning, Eric. You're on with Mr. Fuller. Eric there on line three? I'm not, Eric may have left us. Uh, Mr. Fuller, a question for you. Uh, some people are, saying, are telling us that we should not vote. Uh, the voting doesn't do anything because the people we elect or select, uh, they haven't done anything for us. So we should sit out elections. I want to get your thought on that. Those who think that and they try, like I said, don't follow Fuller or nobody else. Follow your logic. If you think that voting doesn't work, don't vote. And then see what happened. Now, I started voting, and I always vote. And I don't expect anything to happen when I vote. But I believe in something that somebody told me back in the 1950s. A little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. So I I found out by doing it, when people vote, Sometimes, some things happen for the best. So I say, well, voting doesn't cost much. A little bit of time. So a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing, which is what you get when you don't vote. A whole lot of nothing. 
And a lot of people say, well, when I do vote, I vote in uh, Guadalupe. I, I, I vote in, in uh, uh, Ecuador and, and got, got a whole lot of nothing, you know. I mean, it's a setup everywhere, all over the world. But I say, yeah, but every now and then there's a little nuances where you get a little bit of something, and so you might be able to take that little bit of something and double it, maybe. But if you don't vote, and you consistently don't, then whatever's in place, it's the law of logic, kind of sits in place and sits in place and sits in place. And the next thing you know, over a while, everybody gets used to that, not doing anything to change anything. You find out that over a period of time, nothing changes. So I, I, I say, in answer to the question, look it over and see, see if you might, you just might, by luck, get a little bit of something out of voting. All if right. it turns out that way, do it. Do it. Do it. All right, hold that thought right there, Mr. Fuller. We've got to take a quick break. I think Eric's back with us in Maryland. Family, you want to join this conversation? You're nearly full. And again, you've got to listen really, really keen because he uses logic, cause and effect to prove his points. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Neely Fuller Jr. Another episode on his tome on racism, white supremacy. He says, racism is white supremacy. What are your thoughts? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. And again, I must admonish you to listen very, very keenly to what Mr. Fuller is th- saying. He uses logic, cause and effect to prove his points. Anyway, let's go out to line three and try Eric again in Maryland. Eric, good morning. I'm not hearing Eric. Can you hear me, sir? Oh, I can hear you now. Go ahead, sir. Yes. Um, I have a question to ask Dr. Fuller. Um, why do we individually and probably as a group continue to give the enemy um, ammunition? And I'll cite two, three examples. One, if I know that the federal government or the DEA Drug Administration knows that marijuana is still illegal, and I purchase it in one part of this uh, state, and I go to another state with that same amount, and I get locked up for it. But I already know that the federal government still, and some jurisdictions still enforce uh, marijuana, uh, a certain amount of marijuana they will lock you up for. The second example I, I, I see is that uh, this gentleman, Jonathan Major, the actor, and Cuba Gooney Jr., both uh, got wind up in trial in New York City. Uh, for dealing with a, a white woman, and uh, the lies that they told, uh, Jonathan Major had this video came out. Uh, I think he would have got found guilty, but the verdict is not quite in. And number three, uh, any person who would vote for 45, knowing all the time that if he should get back in office, 
uh, he would uh, not, he would do do real harm to us as as a race of people when he, if he should get back in office. And I just don't understand why we continue to give ammunition to these folks when they got the gun and we give them the ammunition to to our demise. Uh, could he uh, expound on that for me? Thank you. All right. Thanks, Thanks Eric. Thanks for your call. All right. That's Eric in Maryland. Mr. Fuller, why are we aiding and abetting? Question. Black people, including myself, we are born in prison. The system of white supremacy is a supreme prison system, and it operates like a prison. So if you're a prisoner of war, and that's what we're in, and you're born in prison, you what you know is the prison. You don't know anything outside of that. It's not a black person breathing now that knows anything outside of the system of white supremacy. So whatever you see people, you know, lined up and going here and going there and, and meeting at a certain place, and that's where you eat, and then you meet at another place, and that's where you sleep. And all of this is orchestrated by the white supremacists. So uh, they, there's a cliche saying about blaming the victim. Well, you can blame the victim. Because, well, we're victims. But if you're born in prison and you don't even know that you're in a prison, I mean, even that's even a tighter grip on you. I mean, at least if you know that you're in a prison and how the prison operates and who's operating it, then these are the first steps toward getting rid of the prison which is what we are supposed to be doing now. See, this is information. And all all problems are solved through what? According to logic. Questions and answers. So the caller just asked a question. Why do we keep cooperating? It's because we don't know any better. We need programs like this where we at least think about it. Wait a minute. This crackpot named Fuller, he keeps talking about some white supremacy. Is that really true? So once you ask that question, you don't turn loose to it. You don't move on to the second question. That's that's a formula. That's a logical formula for solving problems throughout the universe. Never move to the second question until the first question has been asked and answered. Never move to the second question without that first question being asked and answered. So that's a question. Why do black people keep going along with the system? Because we don't know anything about the system. It's like a fish being born in water. The fish doesn't know anything about water. The fish just knows where it is. But when the fish gets out of that water, that's a whole different story. The fish instantly knows, oh, that place where I was, that was a whole lot different from this. I mean, I'm, I'm caught in this net, 
this is not my environment. And I'm trying to get out of here from the minute I'm out of here, in here, okay? Black people don't have anything like that. We have nothing to go by. We have, you know, we were cut off from any knowledge of anything that happened before. And all the lies that have been told have been so confusing, we just gave up on even trying to analyze it. And, and most of the time, no lies were needed to be told. We were born into, into it. It's been how many generations? And even that is incorrect. They'll say 400 years. No, the question is, how long has been there been racism on planet Earth? Now, that's got an exact answer. But I've never heard anybody say exactly what it is uh, in a way that everybody agrees. Like, how long has white supremacy over this entire planet? I mean, does anybody know the exact month, the exact day that you can say the system of white supremacy is now in place, now operating? Or even when the idea began, does anybody know the name of the person who came up with the idea of racism? That came from a person. But nobody has claimed that they know that. But that's a question that has an answer. Even if the answer is nobody knows. That's the answer. So I hope I'm answering the question now. Because I have a tendency not to answer questions. Which no, is I part of the white supremacy system. The white I supremacy think, I think system. I answered it well. Uh, Mr. Fuller, got some more folks got questions for you at 29 after the top of the hour. Gene is calling from Baltimore. Gene's on line three. Good morning, Gene. You're on Neely Fuller, Jr. Good morning, gentlemen. I, you have to know, Dr. Neely Fuller, that you give white people love hearing you speak the way that you speak. You give them a lot of credit, and I give them a lot of credit, too, for being so evil, crooked, vile, and demonic, and they've been that way since they've been on the planet. So why do you give them so much credit and and, and, and not really assessing how they really are and how we can come up with a code for, for the way that okay. they are right. and we can right. overcome? That's, that's a question. That's a question. Thank you, Gene. Why do I give the white supremacists credit? The answer is, did I give them anything? Because I say, <laughs> they got me. I didn't give them nothing. They got me out of, uh, in fact, it was a white doctor that helped bring me into the world. First of all, the Creator sent me. But it was a white doctor that officiated over the ceremony of me coming into the world. His name was Dr. Rice, Muskogee, Oklahoma, October 6, 1929, 
All right. A rainy Monday morning, as it was described by my mother, the lady who gave me birth, a black lady. Now, I didn't give them anything. I never gave Dr. Rice nothing. Dr. Rice had it. I mean, Neely Fuller does not give white people credit ever, never has. Everything that I have gotten, I got it because white people allowed me to have it. So it comes down to what did Neely Fuller actually give? He gives credit? I'm begging for credit from my slave masters. White supremacy is the most efficient form of slavery ever dreamed up by anybody, and the evidence shows it. But I didn't give it to them. I was born into it. A prisoner of war. The war was declared way before I was born. And it's still going on. Because there's an old saying, the war is still going on as long as people are fighting. So I'm doing my little bit to call myself fighting. But in answer to the question, I don't see any evidence of where I gave white people anything. Gave the white supremacists anything. They took it. That's all I'm saying. They took it. I'm saying that over and over again. I'm not saying nothing different now. And that's what this program is about. This is what's called black radio. Oh, yeah, something is going on when you've got something called black radio. That's different from something else. Right. And, and let me just jump in here because we're coming up on a break. We've got some more folks want to talk to you. Uh, the way the, way the uh, question was posed, uh, you've, you understood right away she didn't understand what Mr. Fuller and, and, and uh, Dr. Wilson are talking about racism, white supremacy. So, Gene, I think you bone up a little bit because that's why, that's why we say you got to listen keenly because you use this logic, cause and effect. And I think it just went over your head. And I'm not trying to diss you. I'm just, just being real. Cause it, and and I, it happened to me, too, when I first heard the concept. So I don't feel bad about it. But just, you know, just listen to some more tapes or listen to Mr. Fuller some more, and you'll understand what we're talking about here. 26 minutes away from the top here, though. We've got to step aside and get caught up on our last look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. We're back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL information is power. And good morning once again, family, and thanks for rolling with us all morning long. Our guest is Neely Fuller Jr. Neely Fuller is one who came up with the phrase racism, right supremacy, and made it into the lexicon of, of, of uh, on Capitol Hill. They're all talking about it. Now they've, they've just stopped talking about it, but it hasn't changed because they were using it in a different a different way than when Mr. Fuller and, and Dr. Wilson talked about racism, white supremacy, and this is why some people get confused with it. He says, if you understand how the system, it's a global system, works, then everything you think you understand 
understand. It'll only serve to confuse you. But before we go back to him, and we've got a bunch of folks who want to talk to him, uh, let me remind you, coming up in the next few days, we're going to hear from Contra Costa College professor Menu Ampin, also metaphysician. Dr. B will be with us. And professor Rashid Khalidi, who's one of the foremost expert on Palestine, is going to join us as well. So make sure that your radio's locked in tight on 1010-WOLB in the DMV if you're in uh, uh in Baltimore, rather, if you're in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, let's go to line three. GC's calling us from the DMV. And Mr. Fuller, when we finish with the uh, GC's question, can you tell us how we can get a copy of your book? But go ahead, GC, good morning. Here on with Neely Fuller Jr. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to see if uh, Mr. Fuller uh, could address how we. Uh, how we deal with each other, you know, like we get a, we got a lot of people, a lot of uh, uh, more of our educated people, and we treat everybody else like kings and gods. We we're really uh, compassionate. We want to learn about everybody else's culture, but then uh, once some of us get around each other, uh, we you know we kind of follow the narrative that you know uh, this is the you know we are the the problem or we are the uh, you know the problem people of the world and this is this is our own you know they they don't speak to us they don't acknowledge us but then with some with somebody else of another culture you know they're quick to rush to open the doors stop in the parking lot to let them cross by um you know you you understand what i'm uh, the question i'm asking yes sir it's a universal question uh, if i understand the question is people mistreating people and not uh, interaction with people in a way that produces the most constructive result. <laughs> Trying to help anyone who is in need of help. That is the compensatory. I had to make up a, a definition for justice that makes sense because in every dictionary and encyclopedia, none of the words that I found definitions for justice made sense to me. So I made up one. And that's why I called my book the Compensatory Code. That everything that works, works by code. Hello? Oh, I'm still here. Yeah, yeah, you can hang up, JC. Uh, let him finish. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. And I want, I want to jump way forward now because I spent two hours sounding like which is what I'm not doing, but it sounds like just beating up on black people. All right? You know, well, hey, who who hadn't done that? I mean, so, I mean, do I need to keep listening to this? I mean, somebody spent two hours of radio time, precious radio time, just beating up on black people? No. This program is supposed to be about solving problems. I mean, the best that I understand, and that's what I'm supposed to be about the business of doing it. So all we have to do is just remember, in any circumstance, and we can start doing it as soon as we get off the phone, something we haven't been doing. And that's just two words, always thinking of these two words. And this has been, should be in everybody's mind, including all the white people throughout the planet who are listening right now, the few of them might, that might be, but it should be passed on. And you put it in the form of a question. And that question is, 
All problems are solved through questions and answers. All right? And that question is, did it produce a constructive result with the, those two last words, constructive and result? Question mark. And that's if that is uh, in, in solving the problem that you're talking about or any other type of problem, going to the store or whatever, any action that you take, any action that anybody takes, there's only one question. I mean, without a whole lot of conventions and speaking and whatnot, did it produce or will it produce a constructive result? Constructive result. Constructive result. Constructive result. That's it. That's this whole two hours that I have been uh, on the air. That's any conversation that anybody's going to have on their cell phones. And how many people throughout the world right now on their cell phones, sometimes in traffic? The question is, did this conversation that I had on this cell phone with Hattie May produce a constructive result? Just ask yourself that all day long, wherever you are. If black people just do that alone, you talk about miles ahead, and I'm talking about like right now. I'm not talking about next week. We will have jumped years ahead just on that alone today. That's what I mean by solutions. Compensatory logic, they work instantly. That's the logic of the universe, not nearly full of logic. I'm trying to find logic, and I found that. If something produces a constructive result, you don't have to think about nothing else. Just lock on to that. But if it didn't produce a constructive result, get back to that drawing board right now. Because every move that you make, including every word that you say to someone, is supposed to produce a constructive result. Not nothing non-constructive. Not just do something just to be doing it. No. Before you do it, ask yourself, now is this going to produce a constructive result? Whether it's buying a cake or participating in a drive-by shooting. The most dynamite question on the planet, 24-7, the problem-solving question, it'll take you right to it. Is it going to produce a constructive result? It's going to be one or the other, constructive or non-constructive. There ain't no wiggle room there. That's a law of the universe for everybody. And all we have to do 
It's as I says that all day long, every time we take a breath, I'm breathing. Is that producing a constructive result? Depends on what I'm doing when I'm breathing. See? Just those two words. Those are just two English words. And you can say them in Spanish or Russian or whatever. Is it going to produce a constructive result? That's all you've got to ask. When you're interacting with white people, black people, uh, 10-year-olds, 99-year-olds, male or female, Right. And hold it though, Mr. Fulix, I want to give you a chance to, to tell folks how they can get your book. Because just from some of the questions I'm seeing that people are asking, I think many of them are hearing you for the first time. I know we've gotten a lot of new callers, but many of the questions and the comments, you can tell that they have not heard or understood what how the system of racism, white supremacy works. So maybe if they get a copy of your book, tell us the code, the, the code uh, what the code is. And they'll next time you're on, they'll be they'll be able to appreciate it better. But how can we get copies of your book? Go to producejustice.com. Producejustice.com. Life is full of things to manage: your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. And that everything you need to know about ordering the volumes I always says one book, but basically it's two volumes. Couldn't squeeze it all into one book. That's the only reason for that. Maybe I'll figure out a way to do that. Because it comes about 800 pages of the Word Guide and the Basic Book. That's how I call it. For victims of white supremacy. But it also, I say it's about life itself. Because white supremacy is the dominant part of a black person's life. So that's the focus. But I'm talking about really. Being on the planet Earth and just getting the best results out of being on planet Earth. That's basically what I'm talking about. But you can't do that and be under the white system of white supremacy and produce constructive results. You can produce, I'm talking about overall, in all nine areas of activity. I'm just not talking about a result that looks like it's constructive on the surface, because that's what the white supremacists has made the whole planet. You see, but they're turning it into a garbage pit. I mean, physically and mentally, because the concept is incorrect. And so I have to uh, tell the truth about that. Some people might use the term criticized, but I'm not criticizing. I'm telling the truth. I'm either telling the truth or I'm lying. If, I, if I'm lying, that is not a constructive result. And people should stop me from doing it. But in order to stop me from doing it, they should say what is true.
See, when truth arrives, the lie will evaporate. But I'm saying you've got to get rid of this system of white supremacy and replace it with justice. Justice just means constructive results in everything. And the title of the book one more time, quickly. It's called The Compensatory Code. I got three titles there, but you'll see it there, and you'll know how to order it when you go to ProduceJustice.com. Because that's the first thing we need to do. Produce a thing called justice. It doesn't exist. All right. And, folks, again, I tell you, whenever Neely Fool's on the radio, you've got to listen really keen because it uses logic, cause, and effect. Before we let you go, though, I've got a tweet. A tweeter says, thank you, Mr. Fuller, for all the work you've done for black people. I now understand that it is the system of racism and white supremacy that keeps us apart. Now that we know this valuable information, we can move forward to unity. That's it. So someone wanted to thank you who understood, figured out the principles of racism, white supremacy. And we want to thank you for sharing all this information with us. A lot of folks waited to the last minute to call because they were listening keenly. But next time you've got an idea of what Mr. Fuller has been teaching us and, and Dr. Wellson as well. So next time, you, you know, or you can listen to their tapes, by the way, to get more information or get his book. But next time you'll have some concrete questions for Mr. Fuller at the start of the program. There's a bunch of folks that called you at the last minute. But we got to run because we we're out of time, Mr. Fuller. But I want to thank you again for sharing this information with us. And thank you for inviting me for the umpteenth time. And I hope I get across those two words. Constructive results in your conversations. Just bring it up. Bring it up. Ask that question. Put it in the form for a question. Sir, ma'am, is this going to produce a constructive result? And then wait for them to answer. Don't break into the answer. Thank those you, Mr. Two, Fuller. Those two things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and family, if, if, if that if easier, another way you can think about it, if you're doing something, saying anything, doing anything, and the colonizer, the oppressor approves of it, then you're caught up in the system of racism, white supremacy. That's a simple way of doing it. That's what Dr. Wilson explained to me. Anyway, have a great day. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.